Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Dog Backwards. Today, we have Dr. Hugh Ross on. He's an astrophysicist. And why do we have an astrophysicist on the podcast? It's because he's also an expert when it comes to little green men. He wrote a book on it. And I've been wanting to talk to somebody who actually knew what they were talking about or how do Christians understand the recent UFO phenomenon? Is there valid evidence for it? If there is, how do Christians deal with this stuff? How does that fit into our paradigm and our worldview? How do we understand this stuff? And so Dr. Hugh Ross is a believer, but he's also a highly qualified astrophysicist who has been looking into the night sky for a very long time. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Coming up on the next podcast after this, we have somebody that's going to talk to us about psychedelics, mushrooms, uh, LSD, and things like that. And what do people see when they take those things? Is that something that should be a part of the Christian life and maybe to better understand the supernatural, or is it something to stay away from? Right? We got some cool stuff coming up. Anyways, let's do the intro and we'll get started. I'm so excited to have you on the show because I've been wanting to talk about this subject for a long time. And uh, I just had Lee Strobel on the podcast last episode. And I told him for his next book, he should investigate aliens, you know, because he does the investigative reporting. And uh, he kind of laughed. I said, but I have Hugh Ross on and I can't think of anybody better to have this discussion with, with somebody of your knowledge and your experience and just the amount of time that you've invested into this subject. And so before we get started, for those who might not know you, can you maybe explain why you're qualified to give us a little bit of better education on the subject? Well, the qualification was not on purpose. Uh, I was committed to a career in astrophysics from the time I was eight years of age. And when I was 16, I was elected the uh, director of observations for the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada in the Vancouver chapter. And I says, hey, we need to have an exhibit at the Pacific National Exhibition. So we had an exhibit. We were grinding mirrors and showing people the wonders of the universe. And, uh, but they put us right next to the flying saucer club. <laughs> so, uh, people would go to their booth. They would come to our booth and they just started asking questions. Yeah. But because I was so familiar with the night sky, I was able to answer a lot of the people's questions. And, uh, so, but that carried with me when I went on to the university of British Columbia, they said, Hey, you know, the night sky, we're going to have you answer all the inquiries we get about UFOs. And that went on with me, the University of Toronto, different observatories I was at, Caltech. So I became an expert on UFOs, not on purpose, but strictly because uh, I'm one of those rare astronomers that was an amateur astronomer before I became a professional astronomer. And so having had all that amateur astronomy experience, I was the go-to guy on uh, UFOs and extraterrestrial life. So I wound up writing a book on it and, uh, you know, where I really got a lot of experience is when I went to Russia to speak when the communists were still running the show. Mm. And, uh, they, the deal was you can speak on anything you want in Russia, uh, but you don't get to pick the topics. Your audience picks the topics. Oh, really? Yeah. And half the time they wanted me to speak on UFOs and for good reason. Uh, in Russia, the number of experiences with UFOs 
is at least an order of magnitude greater than it is here in the US. That was during the communist era. It has since fallen and it's fallen uh, for very good reasons. So we wound up writing a book, Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men, where we take a scientific approach and a testable model approach uh, to the whole issue of UFOs and extraterrestrial intelligent life. Yeah, it was reading that book that made me want to talk to you because it's a fascinating and really well-written book. And I, I really am into science fiction. So there's a part of me that really wants aliens to be real. I just think it's a fascinating subject. But as a Christian and as a pastor, the with all of the new quote-unquote evidence that is out with the Tic Tac video, it seems like this discussion about UFOs is kind of at the highest level that I've ever seen it at, maybe since ET came out or something like that. But it seems to be at a really high level. And I've always loved the quote by Carl Sagan. If it is just us, it seems like an awful waste of space, something along those lines he said. Right. I actually and, had Carl as a professor briefly. So. Yes. Yeah. So, so, um, with everything that is going on and what seems to be new evidence, just kind of conspiracy theories and all these things are flying around. And as a Christian, it, when people come to me and ask, well, how do we understand this? Cause the Bible doesn't really talk about spaceships or little green men or anything like that. If something like that was to be real through the lens of Christianity, it's tough to figure out how to relate that to somebody else in a way that they can understand without losing their faith. So maybe I can oh. just ask, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, first point I'd make is uh, you can be on either side of this issue as a Christian. The Bible does not take an explicit stand on whether or not there's extraterrestrial life uh, in the universe. Uh, for thousands of years, Christians have been debating this issue. One side is saying, when you read Psalm 104 and other creation Psalms, uh, you can't escape the fact that God really enjoys creating. And as such, he's not going to stop with one planet. He's going to create life elsewhere because he likes to create. But on the other side, you've got people saying, well, the whole purpose for God creating was redemption. God began his works of redemption before he created anything at all. And to achieve his redemptive purpose, he only needs one planet and he only needs spiritual intelligent beings on just that one planet. And therefore, we think God only did it uh, on this one location. So you can go on either side of that debate. It's basically a theological debate on whether you put more emphasis on God enjoying creating or more emphasis on God not wasting his miracles and focusing on his work of redemption. So it becomes a scientific issue. And the first point we make in our book is these are not physical aliens like us uh, that are visiting us. Because if they're aliens like us that are constrained by the laws of physics, they're not going to be able to traverse interstellar space. And I document in the book that the largest animal you can send across interstellar space with any hope that they would survive uh, would be an animal with a body size smaller than one centimeter. So uh, that might change your science fiction uh, enjoyment. Yeah. Uh, they have to be tiny creatures. Uh, because if they're big, they're going to get destroyed uh, by the environment there in outer space. Your spaceship will be destroyed. Now, there is one proviso. If you come in a spaceship that's bigger than the diameter of our moon, then you can cross interstellar space 
uh, mm. safely, but you're going to need a long time. You're not going to be able to traverse it anything under thousands of years. But then this raises a whole issue. What are people really seeing? And you know, from the age of 16 onwards, I was able to demonstrate that, hey, 99% of what people reported to me were either natural phenomena, uh, military activity, or they were hoaxes. Only 1% did not fall into that category. But the 1% is really the theme of our book, Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men. Uh, you know, we call it the residual UFO phenomena. And uh, when you look at that 1%, uh, there is no doubt you're dealing with something real, uh, mainly because uh, in 2000 plus cases, these things crash into the earth and they leave a crater. Uh, they melt snow, they damage vegetation. Uh, but the other thing is, we're not dealing with something that's physical uh, because as these UFOs move through our atmosphere and crash into the earth, where you've got multiple observers, uh, sometimes they're moving at more than 18,000 miles per hour through our atmosphere. And yet none of the witnesses ever hear a sonic boom or see heat friction as it goes through the atmosphere. If we're talking a physical object like a meteorite or a spaceship, uh, you're going to get a sonic boom. You're going to get heat friction. Moreover, when you go to the crash site, you're going to find debris. You're going to find artifacts. And on all the UFO crash sites, there's nothing to find. Mm. And so our conclusion is we're dealing with non-physical reality. Which now you say, yeah. but you say that there's no heat friction, like when a space shuttle goes up, you can, you can see the heat coming off of it. And they usually have like two sonic booms as right. they progress in speed, but these have no sonic booms and there's no heat coming off of it. No observed heat friction. Like when a meteorite goes through the atmosphere, you see, quote, a shooting star. Right. You see a bright stream of light. Uh, this is not the case with these UFO phenomena. It's not like the space shuttle. So, uh, yeah. Now and you the say fact that there's nothing at the crash site. Now, you say 99% of them are fake and could be like in swampy areas. There can be because of the swamp gas, things that make people think they see lights in the sky. Or even when you were uh, looking through telescopes and there would be like this thing that was hovering in the air and then taking off, you called and it turned out it was a government uh, airplane that was learning to go up oh, and then, right. yeah. Um, so you saw things that could have been mistaken by other people as a UFO, but turned out just to be government aircraft. Well, for example, one of the most common reports I've processed, they would see, uh, we see a half dozen big globular lights hovering over the horizon. Now I'd say, well, uh, were you inside when you saw this? Said, yeah, why do you ask? Was there a chandelier behind you? A chandelier will reflect in the window and appear as a cluster of uh, bright glowing globs on the horizon. Uh, so, uh, and then people often mistake fireballs. And uh, these are meteors that come through our atmosphere, uh, but they make a close encounter and can be quite spectacular. I've personally seen fireballs as big as four moon diameters across. And so when people see something like that, they say, UFO. And I explained to him why, hey, this is just a natural phenomena. You happen to be one of those lucky individuals uh, that saw a fireball 
But the fireballs you got to watch out for are the ones that don't move in the sky and get bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the one that's coming towards us. Yeah. Right. Um, so 99%, and I would agree, like things get sensationalized and most of them aren't real. You know, uh, Bubba Joe out here in Oklahoma, where I'm from, is out in the field and he sees something and he swears he saw Bigfoot or a UFO or, or the Loch Ness Monster. And a lot of those things don't have any real merit. But you say there is this 1% where there's no other explanation. Now, do you think the government has maybe just aircraft that we don't know about, like the Tic Tac videos that we've seen? I mean, because these are Navy pilots, highly trained, well-educated, not really into um, making up stories, but they're seeing these things. And you say they're real, but not physical. So does the government well, have somewhere where little green men are stored? No, they don't. Okay. Uh, you yeah. know, one of the, a couple of the chapters in our book are written by a national security expert that I know. And he simply makes the point, the idea that a government uh, has four UFO bodies in a hangar uh, somewhere in New Mexico, and this has been covered up for 60 years. He says, our government security simply is not that good. Not even the Soviet security was that good. Because when I was in Russia, similar stories are running around. Our Soviet government is hiding all its information away from us. And I explained to them, look, security in Soviet Russia is much better than our security, but it's nowhere near that good uh, to keep something like that. And what's amusing is uh, Mark Clark, one of our co-authors said, consider how long Richard Nixon was able to cover up uh, a 20 minute gap in an audio tape. It was only 11 days and he had the entire power of the presidency behind him. So the idea that we got four bodies in a hangar yeah. uh, for some 65 years, he says, that's just simply uh, not credible. And the bottom line is no one can produce any kind of physical evidence of uh, UFO beings or a UFO craft that you can put in a museum. Lots yeah, of yeah. photographs, but photographs can be fate. Photographs can be misunderstood. I do agree that the pilots are seeing something, uh, whether they're... I mean, I think, you know, if stuff uh, pits a paint, uh, you know, flick off of your aircraft, uh, that could explain some of the phenomena. I also think some of these pilots are seeing the non-physical real things yeah, that yeah. does happen. Yeah, and that's why in our book, we make the point, there's a reason why so many more in Soviet Russia were seeing UFOs than people here in the U.S., or why we get so many re more reports out of Equatorial Brazil or out of France, uh, or why Hawaii and Alaska uh, have more people reporting than other states in the US. And we basically make the point uh, that there's a correlation between the level of occult activity in the UFO observer's life and how frequently they have these encounters and whether they have close encounters. Mm -hmm. It was Alan Hynek who came up with the term close encounters of the first kind, second kind, and third kind. And when you get these really close encounters, uh, most of those, well, many of those are indeed the real UFOs, uh, the ones that are real, but they're not physical. And uh, as we studied that database, uh, it's always deleterious. It's never beneficial. Yeah. Uh, the human uh, contactees, always have debilitating effects. 
in some cases, even being killed uh, by the UFO encounter. Injury is very common. The best you're going to come away from are recurring terrifying nightmares. So this is not a good thing, uh, yeah. but we make the point that if you will get rid of the occult in your life, that will be the end of your UFO encounters. Uh, that'll be the end of the ones that are uh, non-physical and real. And so we say, put our challenge to the test. We have a model. And if you open up doors of the occult, these things will happen. If you close the doors, they will not happen. You know, we have Christians and non-Christians that listen to this podcast. And so when you say something that is physical, but not real, you're talking supernatural, right? Well, that explains why my former professor, Carl Sagan, said UFOs dismiss it. They're not real. His worldview as an atheist would not tolerate the existence of non-physical reality. Uh, but as a Christian, my worldview does. I mean, as I read my Bible, we're not the only intelligent species that God created. Right. Uh, we're the only ones that are constrained by the laws of physics. But God created angels, and they're intelligent, they're real, but they're not physical. And what's interesting is I'm not the only physicist that's written about this UFO phenomena. I write about six others that have devoted at least a decade to researching the UFO phenomena. What's interesting, they all agree with me that what's behind these non-physical but real UFOs uh, is equivalent to what's behind the occult and witchcraft. They say there's a one-to-one -one correspondence between demonology and UFOs. These are people who don't believe in God that are saying this. They say whatever is behind the phenomena uh, in the occult and demonology is also behind uh, these UFOs. Probably the most famous example of that would be the French astrophysicist Jacques Vallée. And he says, these UFOs are interdimensional beings. They're beings that are not constrained by the space-time dimensions of the universe. And they're invading our realm, but they only invade our realm when we give them permission. So I'm amazed that these non-Christian physicists are drawing uh, Christian conclusions about these UFOs and consistently. I think even Christians today sometimes forget that we do live in a supernatural world and right. we've become so westernized in our thinking. We forget that we believe in an, an, another realm beyond the realm that we live in where these beings can act and move in a way that we can't act and move. And even Jesus and his resurrected body walks through walls. And so we would acknowledge that there is something beyond us. And does that explain why the, some of the things that we see moving away, we say it's impossible. We don't have anything that can move that way. There might be going 15 to 20,000 miles per hour and then just change course abruptly. And the human body or any kind of material body couldn't handle that kind of turn. Couldn't handle that kind of G-force. Moreover, no physical craft could handle that G-force. Yeah. So it's not just the uh, being, it's the, the craft that they're in. And that's often observed. These craft go at 18,000 miles per hour and they suddenly stop or 18,000 miles per hour and they do a right angle turn. No physical object can withstand that kind of G-force. It would shatter. And yet we don't see any shattering of the body that's out there. We are dealing with non-physical reality. 
And you know, what I found ironic is that, you know, America is supposedly a Christian nation. Soviet Russia was an atheistic nation. But when I was speaking to scientists in Russia, they all believed in demons because they saw it. It was everywhere yeah. around them. And uh, I think one reason why they were so familiar with it, that was a time uh, when the Soviet government was trying to develop occult weapons. And so they, you would go to the major universities and there would be a department of occult physics. And so this was their way of trying to get a leg up on the West. Uh, we're going to do this research and see if we can come up with some kind of occult weaponry. Uh, but consequently, a lot of those physicists became possessed by demons. Mm -hmm. And uh, so here are all these people who are attending every week a lecture on scientific atheism, but uh, they had no doubt that these beings were real because they saw the evidence all around them. Whereas here in America, uh, you can live your whole life without ever seeing that kind of phenomena. And that's, I believe that's uh, Satan's strategy, mm -hmm. either to terrify you uh, with just encounters all around you, or to make you think there's nothing supernatural going on. Yeah, I went to, uh, I used to go spend my summers in Budapest, Hungary, right after communism left. And we would be preaching on subways and people would start like foaming at the mouth and spit on you publicly and just start screaming at you as soon as you mentioned the name Jesus. And I, I would consider that demonic activity, but you don't necessarily see that level of stuff going on in the US. And I've, I've traveled quite a bit and I would agree with you that different places in the world, it's like the enemy either is everywhere or he's quote unquote nowhere to be found, that he's either hiding or he's obvious. And so you would say that this is demonic activity, maybe to just keep us in fear or to keep our minds distracted. Why, why would, why would um, bad supernatural forces use like ufos as a way to distract us what what why do you think that well there's either distraction or deception i mean i've run into people who are so terrified by these encounters they were actually contemplating suicide mm -hmm. and so that would be a win for the demons let's get this human to kill himself or to harm himself uh, before he can come into a relationship with the creator and, uh, you know, in some of these UFO encounters, uh, the close ones, uh, the demon actually uh, brings the human contactee into a trance. And you may have heard of automatic writing. Uh -huh. uh, this is where, uh, you know, an angelic being takes control of a human and they're in this trance-like state, uh, but they're typing on a computer or in a typewriter. And that's the origin of what's called the Arantia book. The Arantia book is the Bible of several UFO uh, religions. It's about 4,000 pages thick in some editions. And, uh, the, you know, the claim is it was all communicated to humanity from these extraterrestrial beings. But if you actually look at the Arantia book, about a third of its content is denying the deity of Jesus Christ. So that kind of gives you an idea of the motive right. of these uh, beings that are behind all of this. And uh, the fact that they keep pace with our technology, this UFO phenomenon has been around for more than 3,000 years. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but they keep pace with our technology. So 100 uh, years ago, people were reporting them as slow-moving, dirigible-like uh, 
craft in the atmosphere. World War II, they were the Foo Fighters. Uh, they were moving at the speed of sound. Now they're reported as moving about the same speed or faster than our fastest spacecraft. And the stories they would tell their human contactees has changed. A hundred years ago, they were telling people, well, we're from Venus. Uh, but when the public became aware of how hot it was on the surface of Venus, the story changed. We're from Mars. And when people realized how harsh Mars was, they said, well, uh, we're from one of the moons of Jupiter or Saturn. And now they're saying they're from another planetary system. So they're keeping pace both with our technology and keeping pace with general public astronomical knowledge. But what I also notice as an astronomer, what they've been communicating throughout the centuries, uh, the astronomy is provably incorrect by the leading uh, astronomers. So on the other hand, I do know two astronomers that were seeing UFOs every time they came on one of our telescopes. And uh, we would joke about this because we'd say, hey, we're logging 1500 hours per year on the telescope. We never see anything like this. They log three or four hours a year and every time they report a phenomena. But as I got to know those two astronomers, both of them were deep into the occult. And those of us who were logging 1500 hours per year, we were not. So that was kind of my first clue. There's a correlation here. If we, you're into the occult, this stuff will happen. When you say the occult, um, it's a broad term. Maybe give me like just a, a, an example of some of the things these people are into that you would define with that label. Well, uh, being involved in seances where you're trying to call up the spirits of the dead. And uh, the dead cannot come back, as it tells us in the Bible, but angelic beings can come to us appearing to be like our dead friends and relatives. So that's what a seance is all about. Uh, Ouija boards, same thing, you're trying to call up a spirit. Uh, or astrology, uh, where you're trying to get information, secret information uh, from the star patterns and the planet patterns. Uh, so uh, we actually have a list um, in um, our book, Lights in the Sky, Little Green Men, because Americans typically are not familiar with the occult. People in France are, uh, people in Brazil are, but not so much here in America. And so, uh, you know, I found people saying, well, I've never been involved in the occult. And what I discovered, well, when they were a teenager, they were with a bunch of their friends and they pulled out a Ouija board, uh, but they didn't realize that uh, that was occult activity. Mm. Uh, and sometimes it can be through a relative because demons can work through close relatives. So you might not be involved in the occult, but maybe your grandmother was. I had to deal with that personally because I had a grandmother that was practicing spiritualism for 50 years. And uh, she was getting phone calls uh, from angels. And I would joke with my grandmother and say, well, who pays the bill? Do you pay the bill or does the uh, angel pay the bill? Uh, but What's great is she finally uh, realized that she was not dealing with the good angels. She was dealing with the evil angels. She left spiritualism and at age 86 gave her life to Jesus Christ. So it was always a way out. Yeah. And when he gave, when she gave her life to Christ, that was the end of those phone calls. Really? Wow. That's fascinating. Now we say the 1% are real, but are we talking about, when you say 1%, it sounds like maybe five or six or 10 
kind of things that are somewhat verifiable. How big is this 1% of real events that are documented? It's over a million documented cases. So okay. yes, we're having hundreds of millions of people reporting UFOs and there's millions of them that fall in that 1% category. So yeah, this is not a tiny database. This is why our government is finally taking this seriously, realizing this is just not a one-off thing. Our pilots are seeing this. And a lot of people are reporting this and uh, more so beyond the U.S. and here. Um, but I remember Jimmy Carter made that a campaign promise saying, if I'm elected president, I'm going to get to the bottom of this UFO phenomenon. And as soon as he was president, he contacted NASA and says, we want, and NASA's response was, give us some physical data and we'll investigate it. Yeah. Well, they couldn't come up with any physical data. So NASA says, no, we're not going to deal with this. We're going to deal with physical reality. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, we are dealing with something real, but it's not physical. So, yeah, I personally don't want NASA to get involved. Uh, let's keep them focused on the universe. Now, if, if it's not physical, how is it leaving these craters in the Earth when it hits? Well, the fact that it's not physical doesn't mean it's not capable of manifesting energy. I mean, after all, uh, you know, people are struck by these beings. They're injured, uh, but they're not being injured with a physical fist. Uh, they're being injured by, and the Bible tells us these angels are more powerful than we are. They do have energy, but their energy is not constrained by thermodynamics and electromagnetism and gravity. Any energy that we can manifest is constrained by the laws of physics. Theirs is not, uh, which is why people are quite surprised by what can happen. I mean, their animals get killed, um, but they get killed by phenomena uh, that are not explainable by the laws of physics. And you, you mentioned in the book that there was this connection um, for the animals. It was only animals that were connected to humans in some kind of way? Correct. The only animals that are harmed uh, are those animals that are in a bonded relationship with the human contactee. And uh, there's been UFO reports where the animals are the first to react to the encounter. So, but if the animal is not bonded uh, to the human that's uh, into the occult, then nothing happens to the animal. Really? Now, which one of these is more well-known? Because I can't, like, I've never read a story about here's a crater and we don't know what caused it, or is this a possible, is there one that's really well known that I should look into? Well, Jacques Vallée has probably done the most thorough job at uh, documenting this, uh, these kinds of phenomena. I mean, he spent six decades uh, studying the UFO phenomena. And, uh, you know, even people who don't believe that UFOs are real uh, are forced to acknowledge Jacques Vallée is a credible uh, scholar. And he's writing about something. And, uh, and uh, the fact that he's backed up by five other uh, PhD-level physicists. So I think that it's a consistency of these people given. I mean, the ones who are the naysayers are the ones who really haven't studied the phenomena. Is there, uh, now there's a famous TV show called Ancient Aliens. Is there any kind of evidence of this interaction that goes back through history, you know, um, in Egypt and things like that? Is, is it kind of a common thing that's been going on for a long time? Or is this a new phenomenon? 
No, it's, it's, but well, the way it's being manifested is new, uh, but it's been around. I mean, Thutmose III the third, uh, reported having a UFO encounter, uh, you know, in Ireland, they talk about the leprechauns. Mm -hmm. So, uh, how they appear has changed the way they appear has changed. Uh, but this is a phenomenon that's been with us. And, uh, you know, this again is consistent with the Christian faith, uh, that these, uh, angelic beings, both the righteous and the evil beings, they've been with us uh, throughout human history. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Dr. Michael Heiser. Have you? Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, he and I actually spoke on this subject. Oh, did you? Of a okay, public yeah. audience. Yes. Uh, he wrote uh, a book called Supernatural, and I found that book when it was called The Myth That Is True before it was ever actually released. And I, I, I don't even know how I came upon it, but I just was absorbed by it. And so it sounds like what you're talking about with like leprechauns and other stuff, there's the myth part of it, but then there's also this truth behind it. It's the myth that is true. And, and you would say all of these things are um, supernatural beings of some kind. What was, uh, I, I haven't looked into Dr. Michael Heiser's take on it, but do you guys kind of agree on the subject? Well, we both agree that uh, there's overwhelming evidence that uh, angelic beings uh, are engaging us in uh, several different ways. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, I think he's got a more complex interpretation of the angelic realm than I'm comfortable with. Uh, I'm not it's so much into this, you know, hierarchical uh, system that he's developed. Yeah. But yes. I certainly agree with him uh, that we have the evil angels invading us and the UFO phenomena and the occult are a good example of that and an undeniable example of that, but I also agree with them uh, that Hebrews 13, 2 uh, is real. Many of us who are followers of Jesus Christ have entertained angels unawares because God will often send us righteous angels to assist us in ministry. And so these are beings that often come to us looking like humans, uh, but they're there to supernaturally assist us in our ministry. And I personally had an encounter that I think had to be in that category uh, because I was with a brand new uh, Christian and uh, we were uh, just cold call knocking on people's doors. And uh, we were doing this one evening and uh, we opened up this gate and uh, there was a big German shepherd dog there uh, that escorted us to the front door of the home. Turned out it was a five acre estate. And we got to the front door. The owner said, how did you get here? I said, well, your dog uh, gave us an escort. And he says, didn't you see the sign at the gate? We said, we saw no sign. He says, well, it's really well lit and it's big. You had to see it. He says, we didn't see it. And said, didn't the dog bark when you got close to the gate? Dog didn't bark. And the dog didn't pin you to the ground when you opened the gate. The dog didn't do that. Uh, he just quietly escorted us all the way to your front door. Then he just stared at us intently and said, you two wouldn't be Christians, would you? And we said, well, why do you ask? And he says, well, my wife and I and our three children, we've been praying this evening that God would send us Christians so we would know how to come into a relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. And the family had a, uh, dozens and dozens of questions. But that night, all five of them prayed to receive Christ. And then that man took us to the gate. There was a big sign warning everyone that there was a trained attack dog on the premise. It was well lit, 
but I think an angel blinded us to all that. Right. An angel somehow calmed that dog down. That dog did not attack us. Um, and what was really remarkable when I was leading the five to Christ, that dog sat beside me and they told me our dog never does that. If I can tell, I'll tell my shortest version of this story as I can. That is, if I've had an interaction with an angel, it would be this one. We were trying to go over into Romania and, um, we were at this border. We had all our papers and documents, but we didn't have a translator. This old man shows up. He has seven children, all of them fairly young. Each child spoke a different language. It says, so as he moved about, he always had a translator with him. Even though we had all the documentation, they would not let us uh, cross the border to go to this village that we were going to go to. And we worked our way all the way up, and finally they tore up our papers, and the old man whose child had been translating for us told us that it was not God's will for us to go. Well, it turned out there was this rare plague that had broken out in the village that we were going to, and uh, we hadn't gotten news of it because it was pre-internet day, but the churches back in the U.S. that were supporting us had held an all-night prayer vigil asking for God to protect us from making it to this village, because if we would have got there, a large portion of us would have probably died, and we would not have been allowed to leave as it was quarantined and shut off. So just that you have this old man, I mean, like, so cliche, but like with white hair, but no wife, and then seven kids who all spoke seven languages, you know, seven different languages, the connection with the Bible and number seven. So we just all assumed, was like, well, maybe that was the angel they had been praying for to protect us. And, and it is true that there, there are moments where we could be entertaining angels. And so I guess the flip side of that is true, that if we're not careful, we might be entertaining demonic beings. Correct. Correct. We're not careful. Now, this might be off center a little bit, but uh, Joe Rogan, who's the most popular podcaster in the world, talks about drugs like DMT and psychedelics, where they interact with these beings all the time. Do you think that is another way that these supernatural beings are engaging and interacting? Yeah, with human very beings? definitely. This is why the Bible warns us so strongly, keep control of your mind. Don't get drunk. Don't take these drugs, because when you do, you're in danger of losing control of your mind or your mind becomes weakened and a demon can take advantage of that and take yeah. control of the mind that's yours. So it's always maintain control. And so uh, I remember uh, when I was a, an undergraduate student, several of my friends were taking these psychedelic drugs and uh, horrible things happened to them. You know, beings were taking control of them. Uh, so yeah, we're warned avoid this, uh, avoid going into a seance, avoid giving up control. The demon's favorite tactic is we're going to give you power. We're going to give you information. No one else knows, but there's a payment you got to pay. You have to give up control of your mind. Yeah. If you can open the door for God to come into your life, you can open the door up for anything to come into your life and not right. everything cares for you. <laughs> not exactly. everything has your best intentions in mind. So little green men don't exist. There's no little alien bodies in any kind of, you know, what about area 51 is area 51 have any real merits to it? Or is that just rumor and speculation? Well, that is a military base. And yeah, because of all the interest in UFOs, 
uh, our government doubled the size of uh, Area 51 because, uh, yeah, they don't want, uh, you know, uh, public becoming aware of all their classified activities going on there. But there is zero uh, evidence that the Area 51's got anything to do with UFOs. Same thing with Roswell, New Mexico. And it's kind of fun when you drive through Roswell, New Mexico, they've turned it into a tourist trap. Yeah. Now the whole town is all decked out in UFO phenomena. And so, hey, let's get these tourists to spend money here. And so uh, they pump up the story. And what I find fascinating, the really, uh, you know, uh, black ops activity, uh, our government has made sure that people don't find out what's really going on there because they're worried uh, people are going to, again, uh, find out what they're doing militarily. And they don't want you knowing that. Now, is the real black ops base in California just blink twice for a yes? <laughs> mm -hmm. If you know where it is, is it is it in California somewhere? I do know where there's a black ops place uh, that uh, uh, where the really uh, secret stuff is going on. Oh. But I won't tell you where it is. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's just me and you. Nobody else is listening, right? Yeah, sure. I see the record button on. <laughs> yes. yeah. uh, well, this has been fascinating. There's so much information to chew on and, and think over. Um, I really appreciate that you come at this. It, it's based on facts and evidence, but it's not just material facts and evidence. It's biblical evidence as well. So because the material universe limits our capability to understand things. Science is well, really good. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we've got space-time theorems, mm -hmm. uh, which prove that space and time are created, mm -hmm. which implies there must be some causal agent beyond space and time, that broader universe of matter, energy, space, and time into existence. So when people like Carl Sagan says the universe is all there is or was or ever will be, the space-time theorems uh, disprove that, and you really can't deny it. Those space-time theorems are based on only two assumptions, that the universe contains mass, and guess what? Every human being is proof that the universe contains mass, some a little more so than others. Mm -hmm. And the other proof is that general relativity reliably describes the movements of bodies in the universe. We can now prove that to 15 places of the decimal. So... We do know from hard science, there's reality beyond the universe. There's reality beyond the laws of physics. So no longer can any scientist just simply wave his hands and discount non-physical reality. And again, it's a huge database. It's not just a half dozen incidents. It's millions. This is a real phenomena. We need to pay attention to it. Even something like mathematics is like the laws of mathematics are non-physical. Right. They're, they're, they're immaterial, but they're unchanging and they're universal. And so if you only have a material world, you don't get mathematics. It would be something every culture would have a different way of creating formulas. But the fact that we all kind of can speak this universal language of mathematics shows that there's something beyond that that creates immaterial things. Am I right on that? You're right on that. And uh, it explains why mathematicians have the highest level of belief in God and an afterlife of all the scientific disciplines. That's where you find the highest percentage. Uh, it's above 80%. Mm -hmm. So wow. and, really you know, fascinating. It's the, it's the math that persuades them. Math is just too beautiful. It's too elegant. And it's such powerful explanatory power. There's got to be some supernatural explanation behind it all. I, I love it that some people find math beautiful. 
because I'm the guy oh, at the yeah. restaurant taking my shoes and socks off to calculate the tip, right? It, <laughs> it, uh, it's the quickest way to make me cry. Now, I got time for one, one more question here. Um, since we're on the subject of science fiction level stuff, what about time travel? Do you have any interest in that subject? Have you done any study on that? Well, uh, the theory of general relativity limits time travel to one direction. <laughs> we can slow it down. We can't speed it up. So, for example, if I were to send you on a spacecraft to the Andromeda galaxy at 99% the velocity of light, uh, uh, you would age more slowly than I would age because your heart rate would beat more slowly than my heart rate using my clock. Yeah. Uh, but guess what? We both get older. Yeah. Uh, uh, but if you were to make a return trip from the Andromeda galaxy, uh, you might be 40 years older. I'd be 4 million years older. Wow. So, so that can happen, but you can't stop the arrow of time. You can't reverse it. And uh, you know, time travel is mathematically conceivable. I mean, uh, a wormhole is where you get two black holes where you put the singularity of black hole A into contact with the singularity of black hole B, which means you could go from one space-time realm through the black hole to another space-time realm. That's the basis of a lot of science fiction movies. Yeah. It's physically impossible. Yeah. Uh, the probability of those two singularities touching one another is zero. The probability would remain stable is zero. And hey, as you enter in uh, to the event horizon of a black hole, your six foot tall body will get strung out several miles long into a string of particles. And as you begin to enter into the black hole, those particles get destroyed. So you're not going to survive passage through a wormhole. That's fascinating. I love it. I love hearing you explain it. Uh, Dr. Hugh Ross, thank you so much. Your book, Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men, is available anywhere. Uh, your website is? Reasons.org, and anyone can get a free chapter of that book at reasons.org slash Ross. Now, you've written quite a few books. Do you have one that you're working on right now that we can be looking for? Well, I'm, I just finished writing a book called Design to the Core. It'll be coming out in early 2022. Uh, that'll be my 21st book. Uh, but hey, you can get free chapters of any of my books at reasons.org slash Ross. Take your pick. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. My pleasure. Mm -hmm.